0: Welcome to the Arts and Antique Radio Show, where your host, nationally recognized, certified appraiser, Elizabeth Stewart, Santa Barbara's Treasure Sleuth, will help you put a value on the treasures in your own home.
1: Every time it rains, it rains pennies from heaven. Don't you know each cloud contains pennies from heaven? So
0: let's find out. How valuable is it? Hello, 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 Santa Barbara. It's your Chantress of Everything Valuable and Beautiful, Elizabeth Stewart. And I'm joined today by my dear friend, Santi Fazali. I had the wonderful honor of seeing the opening of Capturing and Recapturing A Day in the Life of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. And that is an exhibit that was at at the CAW, and it's on Garden Street. It was curated by Helene Schneider, I think of her as our mayor still. And we're gonna talk a little bit about what she's done in her curatorial position. But just a little background. Um, Santi was the photojournalist that was assigned to hire and to, to, to document an event with Dr. King on April 15th, 1967. The assignment was from an Italian magazine that was based in Milan. And the magazine is now long out of print. They only used two photos out of 10 rolls of the film Santi shot that day. Uh, and this was a protest. It was a 1967 Vietnam War protest in New York City outside of the UN building. And we're not talking about just a small protest. We're talking about 120,000 people. And uh, there was a protest was... in a march. Go ahead, Santi.
1: That was the uh, police estimate. <laughs> the other estimate was 400,000 people that there were over there. So I figure there were more than 125,000. Yeah.
0: It looked like it was
1: crowd. Like the interesting thing was that they were mostly white and mostly in the 20s. Very young people. Very, very young people. I was extremely surprised.
0: So there was, the police estimate, 125 people at the march along with Dr. King. And Dr. King is addressing the crowd. And when you go see the show, you'll see this wonderful, large blow-up of Dr. King on the podium. uh, Sort of a monumental shot, shot upwards as he's addressing the crowd. It's absolutely beautiful. That was Santi's photos. And um, Sadie actually hopes the photos will inform current generations about Martin Luther King's advocacy for peace and his lifelong pursuit for civil rights. And, you know, he's de- designated all proceeds from the sale of the photos in the exhibition to be donated to the Martin Luther King Santa Barbara Committee and CAW. And I want to also note that um, Helene is was a curator for this event um and I want to uh, I want to know from Helene Helene how how did this come about? How did you get involved with this?
2: Yeah, hi Elizabeth. Hi Santi. Um this was it's been quite the labor of love. Um I've gotten to know Santi pretty well the last few years through my working with Cal State University Channel Islands uh, of which Santi has over the um years ago generously he's donating his archives to Cal State Channel Islands library and So we get to connect once in a while and uh, have lunch and just sort of touch base. And, um, you know, our staff who's coordinating all those details comes up. And it was just one of those days we were having lunch and catching up and learn where I hear this amazing story from Santi about how he found these. Well, these photos have been. returned back to him after 57 years thinking they were lost forever uh, about this uh, anti-war march that Martin Luther King spoke at the UN. And he was telling me, you know, I really want to show these photos in Santa Barbara somewhere, and I'm not sure where to do it or how to do it. And I was saying, you know, one place to look at would be the community arts workshop, which is on the corner of Garden and Ortega. Many people may know that space is where all the solstice floats happen and get put together every year, but it's Available for pop up art shows and many other art related things throughout the year. Um, I've been on that board now. I'm I'm chair of that board, and I'm said, you know, I'm on the board of directors there. I know the perfect space. It's this gallery space. It's just the right size. It's inexpensive. It's like really great location. And uh, we're in that we're there. And Santi, you know, you remember this. He, he looks right at me, puts his hand on the table, goes, "Okay, you're the curator." He's I was like. <laughs> Okay, I guess I'm the curator, and uh, never done that before. Um, but really, it's been between working with Santi, uh, we decide, we we agreed that to do this, we really needed to um, connect with the Martin Luther King Committee of Santa Barbara and to connect this exhibit to all the Martin Luther King uh, weekend events that the committee does each and every year. They've been doing it for eighteen years. And so um, they've been a fabulous partner. In this throughout the way. And then the art, the arts collaborative uh, outreach team of volunteers who help make things together. It's just really been a wonderful collaborative effort.
0: So, yeah. what did you do as curator? You said this was so for your first time. So, what did what what role did you assume?
2: So, if you think of a curator, it's like either the producer of a movie or the conductor of a symphony, right? You are the ones that puts the puts it together, right? So coordinating with Santi, which images do we want to show? Um, finding sponsors to underwrite the event, right? These things don't just happen out of thin air or uh, for no co- with no cost associated with it. Um, you know, promoting the event. Um, I really want to shout out to Mo McFadden who uh, does the PR work for the MLK committee and partnering with her in cross-promoting both of the activities and, um, you know, making sure that people know about the exhibit, getting the flyers together, designing the exhibit. Um, We had an amazing reception, as you mentioned, Elizabeth, um, this week to honor Santi and have the sponsors and volunteers and his friends um, come and see the exhibit. And, you know, so all those pieces of what makes it come together is what the curator does. The the exhibit also has, um, I was able to, one of the people working with me did some research, archival research. There's a poster of newspaper articles from the day because there were marches all over the country that day. So you can see that. We found the, uh, the video of Martin Luther King's speech. So you can watch the video of the speech and then see the images that or from the speech, Um, looking, you know, downloading the actual text of the speech and putting some quotes up on the wall to put everything in context. And then finally, and Santi has been with us as well. We've had some um, K through 12 students come and see the exhibit with their teachers and sort of, you know, bring this back, you know, to have them uh, see what was going on in 1967 and, and talk about uh, the peace movement. And as it was getting started, uh, and Martin Luther King's role in it. So all those kind of things roll up into what a curator does. You, you know did what I was. Inter-
1: <laughs> she did, oh, she did a marvelous job. It, it, it looked great. Did a great, great. job. Yes, She's it looked great be at the lowest. for the second show. <laughs>
0: <laughs> you know what? What I was interested, Helene, is is you know you you uh, you obviously have a beautiful eye for art and composition, etc. Did Santi pick the images or did you both together pick the images?
2: Well, Santi has the last word, of course. He's the artist. Um but well, we we did, there, but together, we did look yeah. at them together. We did look at them together yeah. and try to cuz there were so mm-hmm. many to choose from.
1: You see, I, I was thinking about also I was thinking about sale. So I was pushing to have more picture of Martin Luther King in the show, but She said, you know, it doesn't make sense if we don't have certain people like uh, William Buckley Jr., uh, Stockley Carmichael. Uh, I knew nobody was gonna buy a picture of, of, of those people, but it made sense to have them in the show because they were there, one was the extreme left to Martin Luther King, and one was at the extreme right, politically speaking, of Martin Luther King. But to me, you know, it didn't make sense because I figured they're going to sell this, but she was right, actually, to put them in. And I thank you very much.
0: <laughs> you know, I, I was really struck by, I don't know if it's a journalistic Decision or characteristic, Santi, that that you learned or was taught to you, but the idea that you presented in many cases visually, and then Helene picked up on it, con- totally contrasting sides. So I'm thinking of the William F. Buckley and the Stokely Carmichael, but I'm also thinking of you know the lady in the hat with the piece and yes. you know the he- heavy set lady and then contrast with that the uptight looking mom with the young well dressed son. son yeah yeah so the, the go ahead the contrast was oh. wonderful but it, it also was like well is that a decision that you make as a as a photojournalist to present both sides
1: yes you see any any story that i did in my life if there were two sides to be presented uh, I I thought that uh, to be honest, I had to do that. Otherwise, you 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 are not an honest reporter. You know, you you uh, kind of uh, uh, change the story if you don't give space to everybody. It doesn't have the same feeling. So, even though I am very anti-war. Because I was 11 years old when uh, uh, World War II started, I uh, was uh, bombarded in in my town many, many times because it was an important strategic point, <laughs> the Strait of Messina. So I suffered during the war. I understand what this kids and the people now in, uh, in Gaza uh, strip, strip are suffering. I know what Israelis suffer when they, Hamas uh, invaded that town. Uh, uh, I can feel it more than any other people. So I understand the war, I understand salvation, uh, you can't understand salvation and, until you you really experience it. But still, I cannot refrain myself from having the other side represented. So I, I have to be honest on everything that I do.
0: But you know, having said that, something I understand. But the I did get just. Visually and viscerally, I got an impression that the lady that was anti-war was, I don't know, um, approachable, friendly, interesting, intense. And the lady that was pro-war was well, cold that? and distant. Yes. Now, is that, oh, is that because you are waiting for the right? Image to present itself. I mean, how of, does that happen?
1: Of course, of course. In every photograph, there's the uh, the peak moment. You know, is is always crescendo when you look uh, uh, at at people. Uh, you start taking pictures. Probably there were many pictures that I took of those two people, but that isn't it. But uh, Cartier Bresson called the decisive moment. And every photograph has to have, if you have to send a message, you know, a a good message, has to have that decisive moment. Uh, A good picture, when I shoot photographs, I don't just take pictures. I take pictures for posterity. I take pictures, they have all the good elements like the light, the composition, and the message, which is that decisive moment. (laughs) They have to be there. And these pictures have become classic. And when a picture is classic, it will live for hundreds of years. Look at the We look now at the Renaissance paintings and they were classics. And still today are fresh when we look at it. And we learn from that. Uh, French Impressionism was like uh, uh, being the reporters of today, you know. uh, uh, And the, the same we're doing today, what they did with the paintings, we do with the photography, and that has to be as classic as the Hellenic as were, the Roman as were, the Renaissance, and now the new media, photography, and that has to be done in the same way if we want it to last for posterity.
0: So, Santi, I wanted to ask you: so this idea of the decisive moment—you know, Cartier-Bresson, the light, the composition, the message—all coming together in one decisive wow. moment. So, so now you're talking about the two images, the the contrapose of the the anti-war and the pro-war yeah. lady. Um, how many? You mentioned you shot a bunch of those. Many of the, many pictures of those two ladies. And then in the in the editing process, you decided on those two photos.
1: Well, maybe, maybe I did, maybe I didn't. I don't remember when I was fifty-seven years. But <laughs> usually, usually, that's uh, usually that's the way it's done. Sometimes you take one shot and you do have it, and that's enough. And uh, the interesting thing is that a a good photographer he knows when he has to stop. He knows when he has it. And I go onto something else. And that's why I was able alone to shoot in so many different locations and so many different pictures because I knew exactly when to stop. And my time was limited. Uh, uh, some organizations have six, seven, ten photographers in different locations. I had to do everything by myself. I had to represent Martin Luther King in the best light possible because there was a, was a great speech and was a great cause. So he has to be presented in a very glorious manner, uh, uh, very powerful. When you look at that picture, he stands as tall as the building at the United Nations. Uh, the angle, Tells you that it's majestic, and 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 so that's is one thing that I try to do, and then I concentrate on the other little pictures that make the story. And once you have it, you go on to something else. After that, I went to the drop burners, and I tried to get the best pictures of that too. You see, I started with the posters. Burn your cards here, yeah. And that that now people know where we are. You know the uh, um, emblematic pictures that tells you where you are. We are in a location where they're burning the cards, and then the actual action. That's how you. That's what the reporter, a, a good a good reporter does. He express himself with the images. Uh, The Egyptians did the same thing with the hieroglyphics, you know. It's uh, images, images. Images talk. And uh, look, images talk to everybody. An image can be read by a a professor at the university. It can be read by a peasant. You know, it can be read in Sweden. It can be read in South Africa. It, It doesn't need to be translated. A good image is is understood by everybody.
0: You know, Santi, we have to go to quick break, but I want to ask Helene to talk talk to us about how these works and Santi will will help how these works were rediscovered. So we're talking about fifty seven years; these works have not seen the light of day. And I I have to say, Helene, I was so impressed. With, you know, n- newsrooms, I've written for papers on and off, you know, in magazines throughout my my adult life, and they don't really care. I mean, basically, the, those, it, those negatives, I mean, that somebody saved them and somebody then got in touch with Santi is remarkable. And I was talking with a member of the uh, Martin Luther King Jr. Committee of Santa Barbara, and I said, I've been inside a bunch of news newsrooms and this is I mean this is a fluke totally a fluke that they that 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 they, these images resurfaced and she said you know they did the right thing and that's a testimony to the man. Yeah. And I that's thought oh my gosh that's so resonant it comes right back. She said you can't look at these images and and not be not have a moral conscience behind you. I thought, wow, that's incredible that that whole that's a full circle link now after 57 years. Let's go to a quick break. Take a two minute break. and We get back from the break. I want to hear the story of how these images came to light. It's remarkable. It's like they live again. Don't turn that down. Back in a minute. It's Elizabeth Stewart. I'm the honor of speaking with Santi Vasali and Helene Schneider regarding a a wonderful show that's at the Community Arts Workshop. And how it came to be is an amazing story. The idea is it's um, a day in the life of Martin Luther King Jr., photographs by the esteemed photojournalist Santi Vasali. And, you know, Santi, it's been an interesting couple of years. You had the show at the Santa Barbara Museum of Art. That was, you know, amazing show. And then this show. And, you know, um, it it, it seems like your career has remained even into your 90s on such a superior high level. Um, You know, I think about other artists that I've known. By the time they're your age, they're not doing these blockbuster shows. But you are. And it's remarkable. Helene, tell me how did these negatives come to the light of day
2: well santi can certainly reveal but i think you know he called after back in 1967 right the this this idea i mean this is the thing about this whole exhibit and and why the the title that um i picked capturing and recapturing talks about both the content of the show itself with Martin Luther King and what was happening that day, but then actually the process of what happened to these images, right? So April 15th, 1967, Santi is at Central Park in the UN capturing these images, these iconic, amazing images, and um I'll tell the story, Santi, because I love telling it. But you know, and, and um. you can't even you can't do this today. So he, you know, you don't have a phone like this when you're taking the when you're taking your photos. You have no idea what they look like. And Santi had to get them to Milan because that's who his client was who was paying him, you know, or who made the arrangement to go to to take the photos in the first place. So these he rolls up the film, puts it in the canisters, he goes to the airport. You know, we can't do this today, right? Goes through security, goes to the gate of the airport to the where the plane is. Find some random person going on first class to you know arrange make this arrangement to hand them something to say, could you bring this to there, and there'll be someone in Milan who will take it from you. Um, You know, you can't do that today in the airport, right? Of no, none of that. So, but that was the process back then because they needed speed in order to get those images um, uh, developed and published. And then, so a couple of them were published. There are some in the exhibit that have been viewed before, uh, but most of them not. And then, you know, Santi is, is as is right as a new artist wants his uh, wants his his um, his work back, and he's told by them like we can't find them, we've misplaced them. And uh, a magazine gets bought by another magazine, by another one, by another one, by another one. And then, Santi, what, three years ago, you get this call years from,
1: two years from someone at a
2: bank in Milan saying, yeah. we think we have some of your work. We're, this place went bankrupt. It was
1: a, it was a miracle. Yeah, this place miracle. went
2: bankrupt. They have all these images. They have to do their due diligence in finding if the artist is still available to receive their own work. And they found Santi. I, I mean, it's to- like, how do you make this stuff up?
1: I had to fight to get them back. But uh, yeah, the, the reason why we used to send it by a, 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 a person uh, was that you have to be fast. And in those days, we didn't have the means that we have today uh, with a website and telephones and computers that we can send stuff all over the world in a second. Uh, we have to devise a way of doing it. one element of a good a good report it was to be fast. Because uh, in, in a situation like this, there were at least 200 photographers shooting Martin Luther King that day. And you had to be faster than the other hundred ninety nine, and and uh, the, that's how you got there. Yeah, that was yeah. one element of being a a good reporter. they 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 will know that you deliver, and that's how you get the jobs. And it's not just the the picture with that at the time was appreciated more than is today. Today, people, they're not looking for a good picture. They're looking for an image. You know, the level, because they see millions and millions of pictures. Uh, we are uh, bombarded every day uh, with the telephones, pictures, etc. So the level of... Uh, has lowered tremendously. So people today, they they figure, they put on the paper today, tomorrow goes in the garbage. So they don't look for a really a good picture. They look for an image. And, and May I ask,
0: how, how old were you? Were you 37? I,
1: getting, I, was were you? Yeah. I was in the so 30s. Yeah, so mid-30s, yeah. But I was new with this agency. And I wanted to impress them because it was a really a big agency. And for me, it was a, a great job. Uh, they made me chief of bureau in New York. They had nobody. I was public father in New York. You know, I was it. So I had to do everything, you know, from cleaning the floor to <laughs> <laughs> taking pictures. Uh, and uh, uh, I was very glad that I got that job and I wanted to keep it. And that's why I didn't upset them by asking all the time for my pictures back. Because I figure if I irritate them, they, they will not call me again. And 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 so at one point I let it go. But- So I, it's
0: interesting. It's, Helene, I have to say it's interesting when you said the bank you know, they uh, they absorbed a bank bankrupt organization, and they had to do the due diligence to find the artist. I mean, in, in my career, that's like an amazing thing that anybody would even bother. You know, it's just and, and and also, secondly, that they'd have the respect for for the artist. That is just yeah. You so many artists just fight for that, and they shouldn't have to. But in this case, somebody was doing the right thing. The
2: right thing. Exactly right. Yeah.
0: And Santi, I have a question. question. Go ahead. Go ahead, Eileen, please.
2: We are talking about the power of the image and what questions it raised. And I want to bring that up because of the exhibit and just for the process of putting the show together and how Santi's images made me try to, A, remember what I learned about the Vietnam War, right? I was born in in 1970, so I wasn't around during this particular speech, and I don't remember much, right? And you know, firsthand, being a very young child during the Vietnam War. However, you know, obviously going to school, learning about Martin Luther King, being you know the uh, that whole um, history, and and so trying to remember what I learned, but being but also trying to learn additional things and trying to figure out the context and what yeah. that means today. So a couple of things come to mind. One was, so 1967 was just the beginning of these anti-war massive march and protest. Uh, when I was putting a song list together to have as background music, and I was saying, okay, at first I was thinking, I only want songs that were playing in 1967 that had to do with, you know, anti-war sentiment. Uh, and I really couldn't find very many because really the major movements were happening in 68, 69, and 70, you know, yeah. there. So had to be reminded of that point in time of what happened on this day and how important it was in learning how controversial it was for Martin Luther King to come out publicly against the war. There was a lot of concern amongst many within the civil rights movement that because he has such a global presence that if he started talking about the war that that the focus would steer away from what was really needed in terms of civil rights and freedoms back here in the United States. And there was a very big concern that that kind of focus would get diluted. And what Martin Luther King realized uh, eventually, and so about 11 days before this particular speech happened at the UN, he gave a major speech in New York at Riverside Church. Um, It was the first time he came out publicly against the war. What he was trying to do was link The issue of what happens globally in terms of our decisions what happens globally means something and has an impact here domestically and his and his speech goes on also about the hypocrisy of decision makers and people in authority spending billions of dollars to send people of color basically overseas to fight for freedom and democracy and yet those same decision makers can't spend the money on fair housing, on anti-discrimination laws. And meanwhile, Black people and people of color are getting beaten and killed in our own country, especially in the South at this time. So making that distinction was really important. We mentioned Stokey Carmichael um, in who was there. Uh, he was very involved with the Black Power Movement and Black Panther's very different perspective of how to achieve civil rights, but he understood the value and the importance of when martin luther king speaks that the world listens and he was actually instrumental in convincing martin luther king to come out publicly against the war so having his presence there i thought was very important and in fact if you look at the video of the of martin luther king giving the speech you will see stokie carmichael right there beside him so you know we we talk about these these giant figures in 1960s uh, American history, but to get the context behind it is really important, and these photos bring that out. Um, the The two women, the what we're calling the pro war and anti war. So the one, the woman who sh- her hands are clenched really tightly. She's next to a man who's holding a support our troops. So as we we have to remember that you know. Today we say support our troops, even if you're against the war. That wasn't the case for soldiers going overseas. When they right. came home, they were vilified, they were booed. It was as though they were making the decision to go to war when they were not. And so you kind of ask the question of that photo is it pro war? Is it pro like assisting those who go to war? You know, you know, we have to ask those questions, right? Um how we get to the answers, I think, you know, we bring our today's perspective, looking at these photos from 57 years ago. But to have to learn about what the context was like in 1967, I think, was has been a fascinating process for me personally putting this together.
0: And I want to mention that if you've listened to Helene with that wonderful and analytical sort of deep dive into the c- importance of context... If you've got a community group or an educational group or you've got, you know, your club or get in touch with Helene because she can make arrangements for group visits. And um, this is like I said, this is a once in a lifetime opportunity to see these photos. And um, I know that there's been a number of groups and schools and this sort of thing. Santi mentioned to me last night that have come through already. But there's still, you know, gosh, the, the show is up, and if you've got a group and church group, uh, faith group, um, a yoga class, I mean, it, it's it's totally a beautiful, beautiful thing to see, and you know, Helene, I wanted to mention, I think that um, the 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 deep context that you had in the show with the placards and the quotes from various speeches and the reactions to those speeches. I thought that was brilliant, and I loved how they floated above the images, kind of like, okay, here's the cloud from which these ideas have, you know, kind of filtered down. The visions have filtered down, and then I loved the video. I really thought that was stellar, but there was one um, card, placard, that caught my attention the most because there was a quote by Dante, and uh, so the background Santi and I met almost 20 years ago, but on the side of a pool, because I was reading Dante and I was trying to understand the uh the structure of the poem. So there's A B A C A B. It's a it's a certain structure. I was studying that, which is almost impossible to communicate if you're if you don't have an Italian person to, to recite the poem. You can't hear the beat. And Santi, somebody said to me, he's Italian. So we walk over in our bathing suit. I said, Santi, can you read the first line? And he read the first line, you know, at the midlife.
1: Yep. I in mean, the words, they're unbelievably, beautifully, yeah. Uh,
0: so he, well, he, he, he recited that to me, and I asked him if I could call him later and have a little bit more of the poem um, recited to me. And then the first placard I see at the show has this quote by Dante, that there's a moral decision and in any turning point in a person's life, that moral decision comes before them. Helene, can you tell me how, yeah. how, how did that come to yeah. you?
2: All the quotes are from the speech. So that that is, those are words that Martin Luther King said on that day, on that podium. And we have the full text of the speech in a binder at the exhibit if you want to take some time and read it. But I, I pulled out some key quotes from that speech. And that's what you're seeing above the photos. And so the Dante quote, um, he said at the very beginning of his speech about why he's there today and why he gives, he has, he feels no other choice. His conscience gives him no other choice but to speak. And the quote that he says, so he says, I can't, Martin Luther King says, I cannot be a silent onlooker while evil rages. I am here because I agree with Dante that, and here's the Dante quote, the hottest places in hell are reserved for those who in a period of moral crisis maintain their neutrality. And then the speech goes on from there. Um, But that's, that's uh, yeah. Just to put in context there, why he felt so compelled to speak out and um, come out publicly against the Vietnam War. So
0: so that so Martin Luther King actually was quoting Dante in his yes. speech. Yes. He, oh, yes. That's amazing. Okay, Santi, can you say what that line is in Italian?
1: Uh, I don't um, remember now exactly the line, but um, I, I would...
0: Kathleen, have... tell, say to Santi again. The, the line
2: quote. is, the hottest places in hell are reserved for those who, in a period not, of world crisis, maintain uh, their neutrality? Uh, I mean, that's hard to do off the top. So
1: yeah, is <laughs> it, hard to translate it over. I would have to look at it, uh, but I I don't have it in my mind now.
0: That, well, that's okay. I mean, the the idea that 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 this is also another full circle. In so far as the you know the greatest poet probably in in the world, in my opinion, you know this is quoted. Also, I think that's fantastic, Helene. You've had some um, interesting uh, groups pass through. What have been their impressions?
2: You know, I think some of the um, the school groups uh, have teachers whose family were in the war in one way or another. So wow. just that generational conversation about what happened. Um, so that comes up quite a bit. The acknowledgement from uh, K through 12, I, we've had, I think, as young as fourth grade, as as um, high as 11th grade so far, come and realizing the what it meant not to have a cell phone to take photos to get an instant <laughs> image and you know, just the whole what that meant, right? And and, uh, um, looking at things that black and white has come up, that Santi's choice to print in in black and white and the resonance that gives and the emotional connection you have to the images that came up, that's come up quite a bit. Um, And then the quotes themselves talk about that they're kind of timeless, unfortunately, that we're still working on some of these same challenges from yeah. 1967 to today. Uh those have been some uh main pieces. I also want to acknowledge, you know, th- so 16 of the 20 images are from that day. There are four other images that have been uh out in the public before, Santi's images that uh that are to recognize and acknowledge it happened at Martin Luther King's funeral because yeah. he was assassinated less than a year after he gave this speech. So the speech was April 15th, 1967. He was assassinated April 4th, 1968. And so there are some images of the funeral because we wanted to elevate, um, you know, the role that Martin Luther King played and that he knew he was in danger a lot of the time that, um, and that, you know, what his ultimate, ultimate sacrifice was. And, uh, and that's a big part of obviously his story. Um, it was so it was important to include that also in the exhibits on the other wall, so to you know, separate it out yes. visually, but yes connected to the exhibit.
0: And you know, one of those images, I want to talk, we've go, go to quick break right now, but I want to talk when we get back. I want to know from Santi, there's an image of Coretta and the daughter in the cortege. And Santi must have put the flash really close to them. And I want to know how he made that decision and, uh, you know, why, why that decision. Because Helene brings up a really interesting point. To have that kind of image shot in 67, you know, we don't have a Zoom on the uh, we we do on our cell phones and nice zoom we can zoom that in we can go from any length in this case this kind of shot didn't happen well, we, unless
1: it... would have been impossible to get it with the telephone
0: yeah so no. when we get back from the break Santi, sure. i want to hear about that particular shot because sure. it it i think you must have made a decision at that moment that of course yeah anyway let's go to quick break when we get back from the break I want to hear Santi's story. There's this and, and, and Helene, maybe you can describe the images to uh, that particular image to our listeners so we have that context of h- how that image came to be. It's so moving. Don't turn the doubt back in a minute. <laughs> Welcome back. It's Elizabeth Stewart, and I'm speaking with Santi Fasali and Helene Schneider in regards to a show that's aptly named Capturing and Recapturing a Day in the Life of Martin Luther King Jr., photographs by esteemed journal, photojournalist Santi Fasali. And the show is up at the Community Arts Workshop, and uh, it's going to be running, I guess it's to the Feb- February 4th, right, Helene?
2: Yeah, February 4th, yep.
0: It's open by appointment and to the public Fridays from 10 to 6. And please, if you've got a group or even, you know, you've got it, you would like to see this the show, of course, you can come on Fridays. But if there's any other requests, Helene Schneider was, was the curator for this show. And it's beautifully curated in a way that people that come from the, like the art world, they're just thinking of the art I mean, Helene's thinking of the art, but she's thinking of the context. She's thinking of the, the media at the time. She's thinking of the music at the time. She's thinking of the general tenor of the time. And she's thinking of the universality of the problems of the time. And that's all in the, the in the exhibit. You'll see it's 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 a, I mean, I go to a lot of art openings and this is a different kind of thing. It's really completely different. It's very contextual. Um. And so, let's talk about this one image. So, Helene, tell us about this one image. Is it at the funeral?
2: Yeah. So, it's uh, right at Martin Luther King's funeral. It is a shot that uh, Coretta Scott King and Martin Luther King's daughter Yolanda. They're sitting in a vehicle. Coretta Scott King's in the back seat. Yolanda's in the passenger seat. It's a close, very close up. There, went the windows are up. But it's obviously you can see through to them, and you can also see the reflection of people who are on the street through there. Uh, look, Yolanda, the daughter, is looking straight ahead. You can tell that they are mourning and they are in pain. And Coretta Scott King is looking right at the camera. So yeah. I don't know how you got that shot, but and and how close you were. But it is it it looks like she just looked right at you while the car yep. was going by where
1: I was so close that I was afraid that the tire of the car will go over my feet. Uh, What happened was that uh, on the way out at the end of the ceremony, there was a crowd. So the car was forced to stop no more than a minute in front of me, maybe 32nd now the the decision is that's an intrusion photographs do i want it to intrude or i don't want to do that because i have been in a situation like this in another particular uh moment Uh, the decision was made in my mind very rapidly that I wanted to take that particular picture uh, in order to have uh, the people inside because also the the glass of the car were tinted so that you couldn't see too well was too dark in there. And you, in order to get an image, you had to put the flash right uh, uh, to the glass of the car window to illuminate the inside and not get the reflection of the flash. If I had taken a picture with a flash away like you usually do, on the outside, mm-hmm. I would have gotten the reflection of the flash all over the, the, the windows and it would have ruined the photograph. So first decision was that glass has to be there and was almost in the face of Coretta. I knew it was a tremendous invasion of privacy in a moment of sorrow but I knew that had to be documented. And so I put the flash on the window, decided to click, and I got the most beautiful, beautiful photograph for that Uh, uh, the people now can understand the sorrow in the face of two people that they had just lost something precious to them, with their father and and the wife, and uh, this was something that I decided that I had to be, it had to be done. I had to document it, even though I was. I, I understood that I was intruding. It was a lucky moment, also. That the car stopped for a second right in front of me. You imagine you you see an image and the eye tell your brain and to tell in the brain has to tell your finger to click. Is a, a lapse of a millionth of a second. You, you know, people don't think about this. You see an image, the I tell the brain, the brain tell the finger. Click. There's <laughs> an elapsing of time. And that is, you know, worked into the picture. I knew what was gonna happen when I saw it. You know, it's almost like remote control, but but in a millionth of a second and you have to make that kind of decision and and thank god I did so that It's
0: so interesting so Santi it's it's interesting because I know a lot of painters you know I know a, a lot of, of two dimensional uh, painters and they say the same thing that they say, you know when I try too hard when I when I'm like re- overthinking you know when I'm when I'm I'm, I'm going like too much into the head space and not just relying on what I, what I can do at that moment, then I'm stuck. And if I rely on the, 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 um, immediacy that my body knows, like you say, from the brain to, from the eye to the brain, to the finger.
1: (laughs) Exactly. Yeah.
0: And Helene, I noticed that there were a number of sponsors and volunteers, and uh, you had a, a, a wonderful group of people around you last night. And I know that um, uh, there's uh, some people to thank. Angela, am I saying it right? Yeah, and I can read
2: off. I mean, this would not have Please. happened without yeah. them, um, and the volunteers, both financially and their time and their talent. Um, Angela Antonori, E.J. Bora. Andy Davis, a close friend of Santi's, as we all love and Andy, Jill Dexter, um, the Endowment for Youth, and Guy Walker connected with that. Sharon Hoshida, Montecito Bank and Trust, Oleon Limon for um, lovely spread last night at the reception, Laura Reagan, um Fielding Graduate University, Mo McFadden with doing amazing work with all the marketing, including getting us on this show, um, and uh, the out the Santa Barbara Arts Collaborative Outreach Committee that included Diane McKenzie, uh, that included just a variety of people to help the setup, the just being there. There's a group of students showing up that when I, if I can't be there, they're there, and the staff at the Arts Collaborative, Casey Caldwell and Adrian DeGruvara, um are incredible. Uh, so. Really, it's a a big group effort to make all of this happen.
0: Well, that certainly is the, it's, it's a, I almost wish it could travel, you know, the show could travel because it's, it's a different show than I've ever seen. And I think it's, it comes at it in a really interesting way. It's, It's not, it's, it's more than about the, the image, you know, it's the whole context that I applaud both of you for. Uh, that really resonates. And by the way, just another shout out. The show is capturing and recapturing. And the reason that is the title is because these negatives were lost to the world for 40 for 57 years. And because somebody made the right decision to return them to the artist Santi Vasali, we now can see those. Uh, it's a rare, it's a rare event in the history of the art world. I can tell you that. And the show is open now. And it's on till Sunday, February 4th by appointment and to the public Fridays from 10 to 6. However, if you would like a group to tour, you need to be in touch with Helene Schneider, who's the curator. And uh, Helene, is it all right if I give the phone out?
2: I'll, just uh, Helene Schneider at gmail.com. Um, whenever, sure. the, whenever the Community Arts Workshop is open, it's open throughout the week. Uh, you can pop in and see it if even if I'm not there. But if you want to designate a, a group time, just come out and reach out to me.
0: Oh, that's OK. That's that's the deal. So if if, if you see the Community Arts Workshop is open, the, the show is also open. OK, so it's not just Fridays, but anytime the, the Community Arts Workshop is open and you know, that's at 631 Garden Street. And then if you want to tour a group, Helene D. Schneider at gmail.com. And it. Santi, thank you, thank you very much, Santi, for thank your you. beautiful thank images. And gosh, Helene, thank you for your really unique curatorial abilities.
2: <laughs> thank you, fantastic. Like I said, it's been a labor of it's been an educational, amazing experience, um, and a labor of love. So thank you, thank you very very much, both. Buddy. Thank you.
0: Bye. Bye. Bye.